David, I appreciate your taking time from the Nephrology Business Leadership University to join us. I thought for today, maybe we could focus on um, kind of <laughs> things happen in threes, and there seem to be three um, activities um, that have recently occurred. And, you know, one's the sort of related to sort of a proposed rule related to reimbursement, um, telehealth, the quality payment program. So where would you like to start? Okay, let's start with um, reimbursement, because I think that's probably the thing that um, we need to kind of get right down to right away, because there's a lot happening in terms of reimbursement. And you're right, they did release the Medicare physician fee schedule proposal for next year, starting January 2021. And at the same time, they released an executive order on telehealth. And this was kind of interesting, so I'll get to that next. But let's let's start with um, with reimbursement. So we're talking about the Medicare program. Medicare is an entitlement, as we've discussed before. And so the congressional role is this automatically sort of occurs unless Congress does something to change it. And so the role on the, so that's the legislative piece. The role for the executive branch here is for the agencies on an annual basis to to propose changes, in this case, adjustments, if you will, um, and then the community comments on those, and then they take those comments, and then they issue the final rule. So I just I want to make sure we sort of start with process and then move into substance. Well, that's absolutely right. And a lot of what they make in terms of proposed regulations are really dictated by the constraints and the parameters that Congress sets up. There is a real flow from what Congress does to what the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services do. Um, and so this was an interesting development of a back and forth or that it was very much in the mix of what was happening. So as we go through this, we're going to find out that, um, you know, what Congress has done was really kind of leading what the executive was responding with and was a lot. If there was some, if there was any back and forth that left people a little confused, that would be natural because that's just part of the way this process works is is there's there are things there that that get done by cms and you wonder why and then you have to realize that there's an underlying statute there that directs exactly how far they can go and in what direction yeah and that's what we had talked about related to telehealth in terms of now it makes more sense to me with the executive order because that then would supersede some of these other rules yeah shall we start with reimbursement is that okay sure Okay. So, um, starting with reimbursement, uh, you know, you, when you look at the physician fee schedule for next year, nephrology did well. It, it did well. It, 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 there's 6% increase in the overall payments to nephrologists scheduled in Medicare for next year. And, you know, usually private insurers do follow what the example of Medicare says. So that was a good one. There was also an overall 30% increase in what nephrologists would be paid for in taking care of people who are doing home dialysis. And that will be equivalent to a, a physician who, a nephrologist who does two to three monthly visits within the monthly capitated payment system uh, for their in-center people. So that's kind of how you can see it as equivocal. But uh, there were, while nephrology won, there were some serious winners and losers in this package. And that goes back that's not just CMS. That's not just the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. That goes back to Capitol Hill. 
because you're right. Capitol Hill has, you know, Congress has laid down the law on what they're going to do with this every year. And it's required to be budget neutral. And you know, you know, you know how budget neutral can cut uh, in terms of when somebody's a winner, that means somebody's got to be a loser. So you get, I just was going to just give everybody, the listeners, just a little bit. Nephology gets a 6% boost. That's great. Um, and we're real pleased with that. Some of the others got some even bigger. Endocrinology got at the top with 17%. Um, but because there were some winners, there were some losers too. And uh, losers were nurse and, uh, anesthetists and radiologists with an 11% decrease, chiropractors with a 10% decrease, and um, specialty surgeries took overall a 5 to 9% cut. And we are watching that and, and are, you know, we are concerned about that on behalf of, of all of the surgeons who do transplants and do vascular access surgery and so forth. So there, there, was, there were some hits there. And so it's a kind of a, it was a mixed bag for some people. Overall, nephrologists did well. Do, do you think part of the sort of policy statement that's being made here, just thinking about endocrinology and, and nephrology, that, that the diabetes population and the kidney disease population and, and the sort of patient advocates are starting, that their voices are being more heard? Or do you think there's something else at play here? No, I, I think you're absolutely right, Todd. I think they are being heard more. And I think the other thing is that if, if there's a swing, it is away from procedures in this proposal and over much more to the cognitive medicine um, that nephrologists practice. And so you're, you're absolutely right on that. Um, that's really, if you're going to flip a coin and just say one side or the other, that's the way I would look at it. Diabetes, dish, uh, um, issues related to aging, um, kidney care, those all take really, you know, those all receive uh, some loving and some support in this proposed rule. And a lot of the procedures do not. So I, ha- so I have to ask, I mean, the, the, the other thing, obviously, is last year's sort of federal policy shift into advancing American kidney health, um, you know, specifically mentioned home dialysis. So I guess I have a sort of two-part question. The first is, how much of a role do you think that played in some of these decisions um, since it is, you know, within the administration? And then I guess the second question would be, what role did ASN play or in terms of advocating for these changes? Okay, now I, let's start with the second part. What role did ASN play? Um, yeah, because it, this is this is a real interesting story. Because it even and and it uh, that it will somewhat answer your first point um, because the Advancing American Kidney Health Executive Order definitely is playing a part. There's another part to it that goes back two years when CMS came up with the recommendation that ASN absolutely hated. And most everyone else in internal medicine hated it as well. And that was the collapse of the evaluation and management codes. Um, and it really was a slam. It was not a good thing for cognitive medicine at all. And it really was much more, again, rewarding, um, all, as, as we say, all procedures. And ASN and others in the kidney community and others in, in, this, in the field of medicine that are similar to nephrology, just had a unified voice and just came down really hard on that. And it had to be scrapped. The whole proposal had to be scrapped. And in the process, the the government said, well, then what are we going to do? And they went back to the old, well, we better reevaluate the RVUs, the relative value units, and how they work. 
So part of what's happening here is that last year, as we were saying two things, A, you've got to really get behind home balances because you're making this big push um, through this executive order and home balances key to it. So that's got to be done. And at the same time, we were also, um, and I'll give a shout out to the Renal Physicians Association. RPA was also working with us, but working very hard on the, R, the RBU question. And so what happened was they actually, in the process over the last two years, accepted those arguments, and they're starting to readjust what payment is in nephrology as related to the RVUs. And that's why you get a big 6% increase for that, that whole progression, and at the same time, a 30% increase in home dialysis because of the executive order on advancing American kidney health. So I'm curious, David, but before we move to, to telehealth, and, and we really should, uh, there was a lot of confusion around the home dialysis um, payment level. And my understanding is that there was a, a typo in, in the in the proposed rule. And I'm just curious, A, how often does that happen? And B, you know, how do we deal with that? Well, that is, <laughs> that, that, that will take us into telehealth because this is, I'm, I think I told you earlier, I, I looked at this proposed rule as kind of a, a there can be good things in mysterious packages, and, and telehealth is a part of why I say that. But this was the one that that has had a lot of Washington intrigue in it, and people have been wondering what was what was going on behind the scenes. There are two different rates of increase for for home dialysis listed. The proposed rule itself lists an 89% in reimbursement rate for home dialysis, and that is being sold to us by Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, CMS, is that that was a mistake and that you should go with the figure that's in the appendix with all the codes listed. And that one shows basically about 30%. And now 30% is a very good increase, and we're all happy about that. But at the same time, this almost never happens. And so the question was, behind the scenes, was there a battle about how high home dialysis should go and um, and 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 someone, and, and at some point they made a change at the last minute, and they didn't catch their change in both places. Um, and so that's the thing that we're wondering. And I think one of the things that that everyone is wondering and scratching their head about and asking in the community is, perhaps we should just go back to them and say, "I'm sorry, but that's what you printed," and and that really does reflect what we should do because we need to boost home dialysis that much. Um, but. It, as you said, we need to go to telehealth, and the proposed rule took a long time to get out. This proposed rule usually comes out around the 4th of July, and it comes out instead on August 3rd. So, And there was a lot of speculation about what was taking so long. And there's been a lot of discussion within the kidney community, uh, and and we, we had reason, you know, in conversations that we had with the government, with CMS, we had reason to believe that a lot of telehealth changes that were, have been done during the public health emergency were going to be addressed in terms of becoming permanent or not permanent um, in this proposed rule. So we were really looking for that to be a very big substantive chunk of what we would look at in this proposed rule. So, you know, what in the ESRD codes that have been allowed to be paid by telehealth in this crisis will be kept. And that's been a very, you know, it's been a very lively conversation about both what should be available and what also should be not be available so that you protect 
you know, safety guardrails for patients. So surprise, surprise, the rule comes out, the proposed rule comes out, and it says very little substantively about telehealth. It says it's asking for a lot of comments from us about telehealth, about what should be included. And it says that the ESRD codes that were approved during the public health emergency are, are kind of in a different category than the ones that have been made permanent, but at the same time, not. So it's kind of like you're not quite sure what, what they're saying, but they're asking you to comment on it. And this, this is interesting because this whole thing played out strangely because on the, on the day that the proposed rule was released, something that we really, ASN was very tickled about and liked, an executive order on improving rural health and telehealth access came out of the White House. And, and if you look online, if you look at the ASM website, you'll see, uh, the, our statement from our president, Dr. Anupam Agarwal, um, on behalf of ASN about how supportive we are of this executive order. And this executive order is really directing HHS to work on coming up with the final list of what should be kept in telehealth. And that's, that was exciting, and, and uh, ASN was very excited to see that. And then the proposed rule, which also was released strangely at, at, at night, which is never done, never done. Um, and, and nobody that I've talked to has ever re remembered something being done like this. And so it was kind of like, okay, there, was there a battle within the government about how far the executive thought it could go? And, and, the, and also, were they setting up the argument to say, all right, Congress, we can only go this far. You've got to come in and change some of the underlying statutes you have that kind of constrict our ability to expand telehealth. And they did it with this rule, uh, with focusing on the rural health access, because that's the way Congress has mostly structured telehealth in the past, was it was Congress was nervous of telehealth. So they granted it for rural areas and areas that were underserved. And in this public health emergency, that Congress gave the the executive the, the ability to suspend that and to redo those rules and make originating sites the home and anywhere across the country, regardless of urban or rural. So you can see there's a bit of you could see where they want to go. It seems to be a question about whether they think they can go. There's a lot to unpack. Um, and some of it's more kind of inside baseball, if you will. And, and some of it's more, you know, how, how you respond to some of these things. So just to, to sort of close out on the proposed rule, you know, you'd mentioned that it usually comes out, um, right before the 4th of July, but it never comes out at night. And, and um, for those of you who are interested, usually what happens is they, they like to release these things sort of Friday at 4 o'clock or Friday at 5. And then um, the people who are really interested in digging into them then spend the weekend and where, you know, normal people would, would take a, a book to the pool to read, you know, people like David take the proposed rule and start to dig in. And, you know, as, as he mentioned, in terms of the typo, you know, it's, you know, when you read a proposed rule, you've got to read it from beginning to end. And it, it's, um, you know, because things later on will influence things you read earlier. It's just, it's a fascinating, for people who like this stuff, like David, it's a fascinating thing. As you were talking, one of the thoughts I had was there's a little bit of an alignment between the specialties 
where there were proposed cuts in reimbursement with the specialties that would struggle more in a world that that's reliant on telehealth. Um, I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on that, but it would be an interesting sort of compare and contrast because I think there's a fair amount of alignment there, which is just interesting if you think about it from that perspective, where again, from a nephrology perspective, you know, telehealth has been mostly positive. And, and, and so it's something obviously we as a, as a community have been supporting. Um, the last thing I'll say, and then I'll turn it back to you for a reaction is, is you know, executive orders are fascinating. Um, there's been more than 15,000 in U.S. history. Each subsequent president is, uses, has been using them more, um, and that partially relates to sort of the perception of gridlock and with, with between Congress, within Congress, and then between Congress and the executive branch or the White House. Um, you know, if, if, if a president issues an executive order, there's really only two ways to change it. Um, one is through legal action, so bringing in the judicial branch and having the courts rule that something's unconstitutional. Um, the other option is that a subsequent president um, can just, you know, write sort of say this this executive order is no longer into effect. And so, you know, if you think about our election cycle and these big swings from from say the Clinton administration to the the Bush administration to the Obama administration to the Trump administration, you can sort of, you know, wonder about sort of what the future of some of these executive orders are if if in, in 2020 or 2024, um, you know, there's a big change in terms of the, the next president. I do want to throw in one thing because I think it is really significant, which is the executive order called on the secretary of HHS to work with the secretary of agriculture and the federal communications commission to develop and implement a strategy, I'm reading this right here, directed to improve rural health by improving the physical and communications healthcare infrastructure available to rural Americans. And I gotta tell you, nephrologists who are, that we are talking to and particularly who are participating in ASN committees have become quite vocal about this. And they basically say, you can pay for all the telehealth you want, but if until you address this digital divide, there's a lot of people who can't really be served by it. And once again, you're, you're increasing the disparities between the have and the have nots in the healthcare system. And that's something to seriously think about. So I just wanted to throw that out there for you just to complicate things. Yeah, no, I think it's a really important point. And then the other additional issue is, you know, this year has been defined by the COVID-19 pandemic and by systemic racism and, and, Clearly, the digital divide also relates right back to systemic racism as well, and, and a whole set of challenges there that that we'll have to think about and perhaps talk about on a future podcast related to, you know, how that relates to potential policy issues and changes around health disparities, social determinants of health, etc. Um, just to move to our third topic, you know, the quality payment program. Um, I was struggling a little bit to sort of place this, given everything else that's happening. And, you know, obviously one of the big issues for us has been also the CMMI models. And there's just a lot of movement in this area, broadly defined. And I, I just wonder if you can help us sort of understand it a little better. You know, it's interesting. And and, let's, and just so the listeners know, the first two years of the quality payment program, which was created by MACRA, that people will remember that bill that was passed, um, the quality payment program for the first two years stood by itself and had a, had a uh, proposed rule that would just dealt with it. Last year, they folded it into the physician fee schedule. 
So it is now a part of this rule that we've been discussing, this proposed rule. Um, and there's a couple things that you can read into what they did do and didn't do in that particular section, one of which is CMMI is definitely, for us, for nephrology and kidney care, CMMI is definitely where the game is right now. That's where, where everyone's watching. Uh, we're about to have the ESRD treatment choices model come out, finalized, um, and we are continuing on with the kidney care choices uh, voluntary model, and that's, those are underway. Um, so that's over there. I think there is some level within the government and within probably CMS of of just everyone only having so much bandwidth. There's so much going on. So it's not a criticism of the agency at all. I mean, they've been doing some amazing things during the COVID-19 uh, outbreak. And so everyone's been really busy. So when I look at the quality payment program here, I kind of feel like it's stuck in second gear. You know, for those of us who grew up like learning to drive on a stick, um, you know, you don't go very fast in second gear. There's some housekeeping things that are done with different sections of the way um, the programs are, are based in terms of, of like how much is attributed in your scores to quality and how much is attributed to cost. Those are kind of set out by law that they are going to have to be, you know, done at a certain level each year as they, as they ramp up. Um, but other than that, like the last year, they made a big deal about creating MIPS, which is Merit-Based Incentive Payment Program, um, MIPS Value Pathways, MVPs, and those were designed to really for groups like nephrologists. The idea being that, you know, you would take a set of, of measures and they would be, those would be it. And it was like, you could use other measures if you were reporting, but if you wanted to, and you're a nephrologist, you say, okay, I'm going to use the nephrology um, MIPS value pathway. And it's got six measures in it. I'm going to complete those for my practice. That's it. Done. I don't have to look through the 60 li things listed and tick one for quality or whatever. I'm going to just go ahead and take this this one. And, and ASN is working very, very arduously on, on, on creating one of those. But like that was supposed to be the next advancement to simplify MIPS, which has been a lot of criticism. MedPAC even suggested, and MedPAC is the advisory group to Congress in healthcare. They had actually you know, suggested that MIPS be um, be trashed and started over again. They dislike it so much. But so they announced that, well, actually, MIPS is not going to start until 2022. And there's some belief that I think that not much has happened in the creation of MIPS. But I'm, I'm not trying to throw stones at any group. I think everyone is just really at the maximum of their bandwidth. Um, there are some things that are designed to help for next year having to do with 2020 because of the date of the year. So your, 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 your caps, your consumer assessment, healthcare providers and systems uh, that are done by patients, those you're going to be able in, in the accountable care organizations, you're going to be able to forgo doing those and reporting on them next year for the year of 2020. They're not removing them permanently, but some of those things, you're getting some breathing room because of what has happened during this public health emergency. Yeah, so so just to, to um, remind you of the acronym, so, so MACRA stands for the Medicare Access and CHIP Reauthorization Act of 2015. 
um, commonly called the permanent doc fix, which is sort of interesting. And, and really, it relates back to the Balanced Budget Act of, of 1997, which sort of did two things, at least for our community. One is it created a problem with the annual update for physician payment, which the macro is trying to fix. The other thing that happened was it, it capped the number of funded residencies by Medicare, residency and fellowship positions by Medicare. And so, it, you know, it's, it's sort of interesting how that's now, you know, so long ago. And I've been doing some work recently with the, everything related to the RVU system. And, you know, that goes back to, to 1992. And, you know, it's just amazing how, you know, we're still dealing with, with you know, decisions that were make, made in the 90s that, that some have worked out and some haven't. Um, I guess as a final question, walk us through the timeline and the process and also the amount that you think may change between a proposed rule which comes out in the summer, a final rule which comes out sort of in the mid-fall, and then law, or if you will, the rules that have to be implemented as of January 1st. Traditionally, you know, this would have been out earlier. Comments would have been due by early September. Um, there would have been a 60-day requirement that the CMS usually follows. And so you'd be at early November and you would be preparing for the first of the year for everything to go into effect. I wouldn't say that that's completely out the window, that, that's those stages, but I would definitely say that there's a, there's a lot of freelancing going on. So this one comes out August 3rd. We don't have comments due until October 5th. CMS has set a signal that it is not necessarily going to adhere to the 60-day rule from the time that the comments are due to the time that they have to finalize the, the rule. And so therefore they're preparing us for the idea that it might happen later in the fall than it normally would happen. And they just, again, could be concerns about elections, could be many, many different things. But also part of it is, is that they keep asking everyone to weigh in on where they want to go with telehealth. And I think that that's part of what's driving all of this. There are some, they're, they're just not sure how long the public health emergency continues and and how you know how they're going to handle all of these various components will congress come to their aid so you know we, this year we could see a real tight turnaround from the time you hear what the final rule is going to be the final regulations and the time that you have to start implementing them on january 1 and you know the big thing of course is most of them have been required reporting uh, of different issues so therefore you have to be ready to capture your information and your data right away in order to be able to report it on the deadlines that are you know provided. So it's it's it is a pathway that I think is going to be a little secure this this year, and um and there and there could be things finalized in terms of telehealth that aren't in uh, the proposed rule. Which if if that happens, that is a rarity in terms of the way CMS operates. They generally don't like to do that. Well, David. Thank you for operating on our behalf and everything that you've been doing. I know this has been a really busy time of year for you and, and for the, the quality committee and, um, you know, all the ASM members that are contributing to these efforts. So just wanted to thank you and look forward to talking to you again soon as this moves forward. Well, I can, I could not do it without the ASM members. So um, really the, the shout outs should go to them. But thank you.
This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology. All rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.